We are digging that kind of Matt Helm-like intro tune uh, that Dave D'Agostino whipped up for us today. And turn up the volume, everyone, because our voices are being heard. This is the Man on Second podcast on the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game Productions Network. I'm Joe Forsaro, joined by Dave D'Agostino. And uh, today is just going to be an absolute treat for all of you and me personally. Our guest is Special Assignment Pro Scout Chris Carminucci of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Chris is highly respected in the industry, and we're going to dive deeply into the independent leagues and touch on some winter, uh, some winter balls, some WBC, spring training, and more. Uh, Chris is also an author, but we, before we bring in Chris Carminucci, Dave, do you have some announcements for us? I do. I'm excited about this. I always, we always have great guests, but that's how I got my start in professional baseball was thank God for the independent leagues. So um, we're excited to hear about that. But to our audience, we want to thank you guys for your support. We hit over 13,000 subscribers earlier today. It's at 13,020 just as, as Joe's doing this recording. I want to thank you guys for continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. That gives us credit. It allows us to continue to bring you great content. With our seven shows now, and Joe, we may be growing to 10 shows next week, believe it or not. So we go. a lot of interest with people coming in. Jim Cott will be on the air Monday for us and Jeff Fry next Wednesday. Again, they'll be back. Um, but want to thank the audience again. Find us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Those are our podcast outlets. Continue to follow us on social media with Instagram, Twitter, and of course, the guys got me to go on Facebook. Joe, over 250 questions this morning. I answered one on Ego from a talk I gave this past week to a C-level group. And uh, but I do respond to all of them and they all are pertinent to the show and help drive content for the audience. So with that, Joe, man on second, got a great guest today. I can't wait to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Some background on Chris Carminucci. Uh, he has coach managed, even wore the and owned and even wore the mascot outfit of an independent league team. Uh, Cece, if I got it right, I think you hired Cecil Fielder to manage your club one time. Um I got my background insiders told me you're friends with Brian Doyle Murray, Bill Murray's <laughs> brother, and maybe even friends with Bill Murray. On a personal note to the audience, because I like full, disclo full disclosure, myself and my family are indebted to anyone who helps any one of my family members. That Maybe that's the Italian in me. Uh, and Chris is a teammate of my son, who's a scout for the Diamondbacks, and he's been a tremendous influence to, for my son. Uh, on that note, I am welcoming in Chris Carminucci. Cece, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, guys, and thank you so much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation, and uh, we can't wait. Yeah. And, and you know what, in my research and I've known CC for a few years now, but you still, you know, you did a little research and I realized that he is from Westchester County in New York. I was born and raised in Rockland. And then this is the one I really like CC because you once co-hosted a radio show called the sports Goombas. I sure did. I was, I was managing <laughs> the Atlantic city surf in the old Can-Am independent league and uh, a, a host by the name of Jeff Miura said, Hey, do you want to co-host the show with me? And I said, what's it called? And he said, the sports Goombas. And I said, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> well, today with Dave D'Agostino, Joe Forsaro, and Chris Carminucci, we are the three Goombas. And uh, so that will be the unofficial title of the show today. A lot but, of vowels going on. In the, a, lot of vowels, right here. <laughs> a lot of vowels. And we'll be root for team Italy, I guess, in the class. Uh, but, but let's jump into uh, indie ball talk, uh, CC, and and kind of let people know your background because I think the independent leagues are fascinating. Dave has stories, but kind of how did you get involved in it and how did that grow? 
Well, you know, first I started playing uh, in independent league baseball. And, you know, really what happened to me was I wasn't good enough to get drafted. I had to figure out what I'm going to do next, you know, once the end of my senior year came around. And, you know, the independent leagues were kind of in its infancy. So, you know, I jumped in, I played, I didn't play well. Uh, you know, I was not the, the best player that ever, you know, played the game, but I got the opportunity to get some professional experience under my belt. I got the opportunity to meet a lot of people and I fell in love with the game. And, you know, just the, the, the kind of outlaw mentality that it had, because these these weren't like the Atlantic League teams of today. These were, you know, played at high school fields and, uh, you know, backyard baseball, so to speak. But it was it was so much fun to be involved in. And, you know, I fell in love with it. And it gave me my first opportunity to be able to not only play, but also coach. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always find it fascinating and I, it's not indie ball, but I, I'll relate it a little bit to my experiences during, especially spring training and early into the pro season when, uh, you know, being Jupiter, Florida, being only 70 miles from where I live, not too far away from where the Marlins are. If I, the Marlins are off a day when I was covering the beat every day, or if I didn't make a road trip, I'd go up and you'd watch, maybe I'd spend two days on those backfields watching at the time, complex league games and seeing these kids that, playing noon games in the Florida heat with, you know, like, you know, two girlfriends there and, you know, maybe three scouts and just, you know, just sweating their, you know, everything off. And I'm like, we're finding out today, my friends, who wants to play baseball? Because they're doing that literally every day. And it could just, you know, drain this, you know, everything out of you, your emotion, your enthusiasm for the sport. But I believe that's where you see who shows up and plays. You never know what a player can do until you put them in an adverse atmosphere, you know, in, in, in a in an uncomfortable situation. And, you know, that's one thing that independent baseball does. That's one thing that the backfields do. You know, they put players in uncomfortable uh, situations and those players have to you know rise to the occasion. If they don't, they go home, you know, and I love that idea of it. I don't think we have that enough in life anymore. And I, I really believe that the, uh, specifically the independent leagues give that player that last chance. It's always they're always called last chance leagues. And I love that terminology. Mm -hmm. How did you come about, uh, you know, emerging into the coaching and then ownership ranks? So and, and I mentioned a mascot, so you have to mention that. that, <laughs> yeah, that I'll, I'll, def I'll definitely bring that up too. But you know, I was coaching at St. John's University, and uh, for the great Eddie Blankmeyer, and you know, I was the fourth assistant coach, and uh, or the fourth coach, uh, last assistant, and I was I had a great time doing it. But after a year doing it, I really learned that the college game wasn't for me. Uh, you know, too many rules, too many regulations. You know, too many, uh, too much time uh, that you you that you spent away from the player, you know, that darn thing called school got in the way, you know, so we had to, uh, you know, kind of figure it out as we went along. So, you know, I really decided I wanted to get back in pro ball. So, you know, I started to send out my resume. I started to call uh, everybody I knew in the game and, you know, lo and behold, no one would hire me. Okay. Uh, I was not that I was unhirable. I just had no real resume. And at that time, you know, college coaches weren't necessarily making the jump into pro ball. So, I called up an old friend in Cash Beecham, and I basically begged him to hire me in Bangor, Maine, okay? And he said, you know, Chris, I've got $1,200 a month I can give you, and a, you could share a, a, an apartment with me, and, you know, here I am. I have a child on the way. Uh, you know, I, at the prior to this, I was, like I said, coaching at St. John's. I was coaching in the Cape. Uh, I was doing a million other odd jobs. So I was like, you know what? Why don't I just go ahead and quit St. John's and go into the independent leagues where it's pro ball, 
no rules, no regulations. I can kind of get my feet wet in a pro atmosphere with a great manager and coach in Cash Beecham. And I can really learn the things that maybe I hadn't uh, you know, known up until, and I still believe I'm learning every day at almost 50. But, you know, so I did that. And lo and behold, you know, I ended up getting a manager's job after that. I ended up having success as a manager. I, I ended up, uh, you know, getting some you know, recognition and being able to get players back to Major League Baseball from there. Because I, I love the idea of being the, the minor league manager that not only signed players and got them to play again, but also to get them back to a major league organization and hopefully to the major leagues, which is you know, what we all hope for, you know, for these guys. So, you know, I'm, I'm managing and I, I, one of the teams I'm managing ends up folding. OK, uh, goes out of business literally overnight. And then I'm like, man, what am I going to do? So the league calls me up and says, well, actually, the team's going out of business, but we want you to run the road team. OK, so I managed a team that played on the road for about 100 games straight. OK, and you talk about I was exhausted by the end of that year. OK, it was tiring. It was uh, mentally draining. Everything you know, under the sun you could name that uh, was was challenging. It was. And at the end of that year, I realized I had learned basically how to run a team by default. And I, I said, you know what, maybe I could own one of these. Maybe I could be a GM of one of these because quite honestly, I didn't like the feeling of a team going out of business and getting fired. So I figured I would hedge my bets and try to become a manager that also had ownership in the teams. So I, from then on, I would always make a deal with the greater ownership that I'm going to manage the team, but I'm also going to get a piece of ownership in the team. And that kind of built up over time where I built up equity in a few different teams. Uh, I ended up, uh, uh, I was managing in um, uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey. I was also part owner of the team. That owner came to me and said, listen, we're having financial problems. Uh, would you step off the field and kind of run the team? That's when I hired Cecil Fielder, uh, who was incredible to work for. It's so much fun. We have so many great stories of Atlantic City. Some I could tell on here, most I can't. Uh, but, uh, and then, you know, we ended up doing, I ended up doing that and really learning both sides of the game. I put on the mascot outfit. We didn't what have What was any, the mascot? What, what were you dressed up as? It was actually a sea creature called Splash. Okay. okay. So, and it, and it smelled like God knows what, Joe. I mean, <laughs> I it was, say. It was awful. I mean, I, I had to stop from puking in this uh, this mascot outfit while I was running around the stadium for like seven people that were there. You know, so it was it was a, a fun and scary and, and great all at the same time. You know, so I, I, I did that. And then I that team ended up uh, the ownership said, you know, we're just going to sell it off. Uh, so they sold the franchise off. And I decided to go back on the field after that, went to uh, Brockton, Massachusetts in the Can-Am League. I'm managing there. What happens again? That owner comes to me and says, hey, can you can you step off the field and run this team? And I had success on the field, uh, but at the same time as the business was more important at this point. So there I do. I, I have success, but I have to step off the field. So who do I hire in Brockton, Massachusetts, 45 minutes from uh, Boston? I, I, I um, uh, end up hiring um, uh, Bill Buckner. OK, so Bill Buckner becomes our manager, did a great job. OK, we Went a few years with that, ended up deciding that we're going to get out of the independent baseball market and we're going to, in turn, put Brockton into a summer collegiate market. OK, so we kind of changed the the you know level of play to fit the amount of people and the finances that we were drawing there. So you know, we ended up starting our own league called the Futures Collegiate League in New England. I did that for a number of years and, you know, I, I was able to then turn around and sell off the teams in that league that I owned. 
And I'm literally sitting in, and I know I'm, I'm going fast here, but I want to get to this part because this is one of the greatest days of my life is I'm literally celebrating in 2010 my, uh, oh God, I forget what, it must have been, it was my 10 year anniversary and I'm in Miami and my phone rings and it's Kevin Towers and Bill Brick. And they call me up and they say, hey, listen, we want you to come on board and we want you to run our independent league scouting program. And uh, I was like, uh, well, yeah, of course I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know? So so then I, I jumped on board and, uh, you know, it, since then it's been, you know, 13 years of uh, a lot of fun and great people. So that's kind of the progression in a nutshell of how I went from, you know, the independent leagues to working at Major League Baseball. And uh, it doesn't normally happen like that, but it sure did for me. I'm very blessed. There's a lot to unpack there, but Dave wants to jump in right now. That was, that was phenomenal. I, I, I think our audience, they know a little bit of the independent leagues, but you mentioned some big names that, that you hired as managers, but um, could you do two things? One, kind of give give some of the leagues that are out there now and, and maybe the names of the leagues that you were in, like with Bangor. And were there some former major leaguers on those teams? Because if And we may have crossed paths, Chris, I'm not sure, but the Banger team, if it was at the Banger Blue Ox, and did you have Oil Can Boyd as your pitching coach slash second starter on that team? Was he on that team when you were there? So the, the Blue Ox were earlier. I was the Bangor Lumberjacks. That came around later. So that was 2004, okay, so uh, when I was there. So, but the Blue Ox were prior to that, I think in the early 2000s and maybe late 90s. But, uh, yeah, it was – it the. That league then was called the Northeast League, okay? That league no longer exists. That league then became the Can-Am League, which then merged with the Frontier League. So, you know, right now, yet you really have the big leagues are the American Association, the Atlantic League, um, the Frontier League, which is – Frontier League has like seven, 16, 17 teams in it now. It's really grown a lot, Okay. And then after that, now you have the Pioneer League, uh, which is a relatively new format for them. You know, they were affiliated before. Um, and then you have the United Shores League, the Picos League, uh, and then, you know, seven or eight under that that are, you know, call themselves independent leagues. But they're, you know, they're, they're, they're independent leagues, but they're, they're also glorified men's leagues as well, too. You know, so you have you, but but let me say this. And, and I, I talk to our guys about this all the time. Just because a league is not affiliated doesn't mean we shouldn't be scouting it, okay? There are players everywhere. Players come in all different shapes, sizes, and colors. Thank God they do, and we should scout it all. I, I, I pound my fist on the table in our meetings all the time, and if there are players there, we should see it. We may not always find somebody, but you never know when you're going to find a David Peralta, okay, who was became you know a great player for us, who was yeah. literally working in McDonald's, okay, who I worked out in Florida at a workout, and I said, how is this guy not in an organization? And you know, lo and behold, he becomes you know one of our best players for ten years. So you just never know where you're going to find good talent, and we've got to be scouting these leagues as much as possible. CC, I want to follow up on Peralta. Because you're moving too fast, by the way, because I have three questions you've got oh, to answer. Oh, sorry, sorry. Right? No, 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 you just keep going. It's it's my job to adjust to you, not the other way. But uh, the Peralta thing really hits the core because it is. That that was huge, you know, signing for you and, and your career, obviously for David's career. But how do you find the makeup of the player to, that uh, David Peralta, next David Peralta, that is such a, a talent but is – you know, willing to work at McDonald's to to follow a baseball dream in an indie league. Yeah, you know, and, and let me say this, you know, that, that signing changed both of our lives because I, I went from a guy that uh, was just really scouting the independent leagues to being trusted to do all kinds of, you know, major league and affiliated international uh, signings and, uh, and scouting. So it, and not only changed his life, it changed my life overnight. 
And, you know, the makeup of him really was the selling point. I mean, he, you know, my, my wife and I have a saying, you know, like, you know, it's just whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get something done, we're going to do it. You know, if, if uh, our, our kids need something and, uh, you know, we, we, we want to get it, we just say hey, whatever it takes, we're going to get it for him. David had that mentality and still does till this day. He was not going to be denied. He was going to go in and do whatever it took to get to the big leagues. An example is I have a conversation with him after we sign him. And I say, listen, David, you got to go in. You can't hit 260, 270. You, you got to put up big numbers. What does he do? He goes to high A by Zelly and he hits 340. Okay. He was not going to be denied. Whatever it took, he did. And, you know, by the way, the, the way the story goes is, I didn't sign him right away after working him out because Mike Bell, our minor league director at that time, said, Chris, we don't have a spot. And, you know, the worst thing you can do to a player is sign him and then not give him a fair shake. And, you know, if we would have signed him prior to that, he would have literally sat on the bench. We would have never known what David had. But we ended up having an injury. Mike calls me and says, hey, we could sign that Peralta kid that you want. In the meantime, it was about a month, month and a half or so that went by. David called me all the time. David checked in all the time. He said, listen, I'm ready. I'm ready. He didn't just say, I'm going to wait around for somebody to, to call me. I'm, I'm going to call them and I'm going to be proactive. So that makeup, that tenacity, I love that in players. He had it. So many players do. So many players don't. And honestly, the players that don't, they, they end up getting out of this game pretty fast. The players that stick around and keep grinding and keep fighting, they end up staying the course, and a lot of them get to the big leagues that way. He was one of them. Yeah. Dave, you got a follow-up? No, I, I, I'm just amazed that – and I'm, I'm happy and I'm amazed that that organizations are diving this deep in there because we, we hear from the outside in how scouting departments are being depleted, but it sounds like you guys are – I mean, you're going all in and you're, you're leaving no stone unturned. So message to our audience, we have a lot of young kids out there that um, grassroots, but kids that are at that age right now and may have the abilities with the draft being reduced, the number of minor league organizations being reduced, you haven't altered your approach at all, it sounds like. No, we haven't. I mean, we've we've gotten a little bit smaller in our scouting department, but that doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily a bad thing, okay? Because we've been more direct in our scouting, but we also believe scout everything, okay? And that's something that I believe teams are going to circle back to as time goes on. I think, yeah, scouting and analytics they had their little bit of a, a of a, a some friction going on there, but I, I think we all agree that both are important. Both are useful, and now we have to invest in those things, both on the human side of it and on the technological side of it, and we have to keep doing that. And I, I think teams – let me say this. Our, our, whether our GM was Kevin Towers or whether it was Dave Stewart or whether it was Mike Hazen, they all believed in the same thing, that scouting matters. You have to see the player. You have to get to know the player. That makeup box needs to be checked and needs to be filled out, and we need to spend the time getting that information. And that's not something you can always get from a you know, TrackMan report. So, or you, you, you can't get it all from a track man report. So at the end of the day, you got to scout everything. We, we've continued to do it. And there are other organizations out there that have continued to do it. It has been funny to me, though, to watch all these other teams now start to scout the, major, the, the independent leagues because of the new umbrella Major League Baseball has with the independent leagues, where they're kind of all part of the same auspice. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I laugh at that a little bit because, you know, we've been doing that for 20-something years. It started with a guy by the name of Bill Brick, who was, you know, one of the best scouts that ever lived and, you know, was like a father to me. He, he used to say, scout it all. I just carry that torch now and pay it forward as much as possible. But I thank God every day that our guys believe in scouting and they, they say, hey, get it, go see it. And we've got to be able to report on it. 
Are, are there other derivatives of you and organizations? I know you said they're starting to scout the independent leagues. Um, what would you say about how many how many teams are following your lead? You know, I, I wouldn't say that they're following my lead. I think there's a you know five or six teams. The Twins do a nice job of it. The Red Sox do a nice job of it. Uh, I think the Mets do a nice job of it. Uh, I, I think uh, other teams are starting to to see the value of it. The Rangers do a good job in it. But I think all of them are starting to say to themselves, "Boy, there's some talent here, and we have to get it." And, you know, we have to go see it in order to believe it, you know, and sometimes you don't get the full feeling of a player until like what you talked about before you go see a player, maybe in an adverse situation where they're taking BP before the game in a cage under a stadium that's rotting, that's old, that smells a little bit where the, the, the nets may be, you know, wearing and, you know, every ball that's hit in the cage could basically hit somebody, <laughs> you know, you got to go see that to believe it and see what the player had to go through to be able to get to where he is today. Those things are so important important for scouts and organizations to see. And I think more teams are willing to see it now. And you, you oh, go go ahead. Ahead. I was going to say, you, you mentioned the, the balance of, you know, subjective and objective evaluations. How do you personally balance the two with, you know, coming in, obviously you've got a great eye, you've proven that over time and you've, you've been at every level. And then now with the, the influx of more input, how do you personally balance that um, as a scout going out there trying you know, to find your player? I've always, I've never been one of these scouts that fights against analytics or anything like that because I love information, okay? I want information. It's always how that information is put out that, you know, causes friction, you know, and when you try to say, well, scouting is right and or analytics is right, it's a combination of both. You want information. So I've always tried to balance it with information and my eyes and getting to know the player. And, you know, th those things together are so important. Uh, we have a young man by the name of Coral Gonzalez in our office. Okay. He is on every single independent league player. You know, he's on their Twitter accounts. He's on their, um, uh, uh, you know, analytics side and he's feeding me information all the time saying, Hey, this guy's popping, that guy's popping. So, you know, we're constantly running around, you know, we have cash Beecham that does a lot of the on the ground independently scouting for us right now because they have me running around doing other things as well too. But it basically what it does is it breaks down that pool into a small amount of people that I can get on a plane and go cross check. And that saves us so much time, uh, so much energy, so much money uh, by doing it that way. And we've just had to, you know, adjust over the years to be able to do it that way and to get the best effect of what we're and, and best bang for a buck. Yeah, I like the approach. It's too many now we get caught up in either or and it's it should be about getting it right as opposed to being right. Well, and, and, can, and can I just say this? It, it's a, it's all it's about letting your ego get out of it. You know, ego yes. destroys everything that we do in life and in this game. And once we say, you know, I'm signing that player or I got this right, or I, I, I hate that term. It's, it's we and us and all of us together. It, it literally takes a village to sign a player. Okay. And the day and age where, you know, we, we, we have these guys that pound their chest and say that, you know, Oh, I'm the reason he's in the big leagues. I have nothing to do with David Peralta being in the big leagues other than being in the right place, right time and believing in him. That young man earned it. That young man put me on his back and carried me to the big leagues with him. So, you know, I, I owe him. He always says, I owe you. No, I feel like I owe him. And we have to keep that mentality. I love that. Yeah. CC, how, uh, I want to talk about two questions here. Uh, makeup and, and how many looks do you need on a player before you think you kind of know that player? Yeah, you know, that's tough. I, I think it depends on the player of how many looks I need, uh, because, you know, some players you'll see and you're like, man, I love this player. 
And when you really like a player when you first see him, sometimes the more you see him, the less you like him. <laughs> so sometimes you want to be able to say, hey, I like this guy. Now, I, I'm, I, I somehow have become this old dog now. I, I don't know what happened the past 20 years. I, I, I feel like I was just 25 yesterday. But, you know, here I am uh, at, at just about 50, and I've been doing this a long time. So I feel like I, I need less. I also feel like I ha- have more confidence in myself to be able to stand up and say, hey, I want this player. And I've become more vocal over the years. Uh, maybe where, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I would have said, I need few more, a few more looks before I call up our GM and say, we have to sign this guy or call up Jason Parks and say, we really need this guy. But now I will call that guy once I feel, and, and this is an important factor for those guys that are not signed right now, they're looking to get signed. If a player is better than what we currently have, okay, that is an important statement right there because players don't always realize that. If the player is better than what we currently have, I'm ra- I'm pounding the table. I'm raising my hand and saying, we need to sign this player. If he's the same, I'm not doing that. If he's lesser, obviously I'm not doing that. But I, I yeah, the player has to be better than what we currently have. We just had a tryout camp, had, you know, a hundred and something players there, or I'm sorry, 85 players there. And at the end of the day, we're going to end up signing a few of those guys because we believe they are better than what we have. And, you know, that kind of a forum gives them the the chance to showcase it. So I I pound the table often. Sometimes I don't always get my way. Sometimes they say, no, Chris, we don't have room. And, you know, I I have to put it on the back burner. But, you know, a lot of those guys that, you know, we've signed and released have made it to the big leagues. You know, it's not just Peralta. I mean, I signed John Brebbia, uh, who, you know, ended up being an all-star. I signed Tyler Madzik, ended up being an all-star. You know, uh, Bull Schultz, Chaz Rowe, Ildemaro Vargas, who made it to the big leagues with us. And, you know, we signed those guys and gave them the opportunity. Yeah, they ended up, a lot of them made it to the big leagues with us, but they also made it to the big leagues with other teams as well, too. And you know, I'm just as happy for them. I wish it was with us, though. Uh, but at the same yeah. time, is you know, you, you just never know when a player is going to hit and uh, really, you know, hit his stride and make it to the big league. So, you know, I, I do to answer your question. I, I I don't need a lot, and I'll I'll normally really pound the table pretty quickly. Yeah, you know what? I think for our listeners out there who are players, uh, I think what CC just mentioned is very important. To I guess it, it's CC is you're betting on yourself, right? You're you're playing indie ball, or you're you're kind of a the outlier, you're the undernoticed. But you got to keep digging and grinding, and you never know who's going to see something in you. Yeah. And uh, I know that's a lot of the fun I have as as a reporter. Even you know I, the beauty of what I'm doing now, my semi retirement, which I'm going to be more working than not, uh, is seeing in the last three days I saw two really good high school games. And two MLB games, because I went back and forth between Jupiter, Florida, um, with four different teams. I saw the Mets, Marlins. I saw the Astros, um, uh, Cardinals, and then saw Stoneman Douglas play Miami Springs last night. And the beauty of that is you seeing all these players at that level, what they what they look like young, what they could look like when they get there. But the ones that make it are the ones that have that fire in their belly, I find, often and sometimes I'll see a kid at a high school level who's really got the ice, has got the fire in the belly, may not have the total talent to make it to the big leagues, but there's a path to go into baseball. And um, and CC, uh, that was my little uh, two minute rant here. Um, <laughs> the indie leagues and the fact that uh, now the MLB draft is is twenty rounds, not forty, and the, well, I guess there instead of one hundred sixty minor league teams, there's one twenty. Are we seeing? better quality in the indie ball uh, play in the last few years? And do you expect it to get better moving forward? 
I, I think it is getting better. I think COVID had a, a kind of an adverse effect on the Indy League because you had a number of players either go back to college uh, or just flat out retire and not continue playing. So I think it, it, it hurt it a little bit. But at the same time, as I see going forward, I think the independent leagues are going to be a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, those leagues that I talked about before, the American Association, the Atlantic League, uh, the Frontier League, the Pioneer League, those leagues are at the forefront of it all. And those guys really have the upper hand in getting the best players, whether it be that get released or coming out of college, and they're developing them. So there's going to be more of a dogfight as time goes on. You know, I, I say this all the time. We used to have kind of a monopoly on the independent leagues. It was us and the five teams or so that I mentioned before. But more than ever, you know, we have to be at the top of our game. I remind our guys all the time we have to continue to invest in this because these players are getting better. These leagues are getting better. And, you know, it's what, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, we signed a lot of players, but, you know, these other teams are going to come along and they're going to be fighting with us for these players. So we got to be out in front for sure. Are you seeing that pitchers might have a better shot in Indy League? The fact that a 27, 28-year-old, if you're throwing 95 to 100, you might get, you know, signed as a reliever easier than be an everyday position player or even a utility player? Absolutely. Pitchers have always outpaced the hitters uh, in independent leagues, always. And, you know, I, I say this is especially starters because those, you know, those hard throwing relievers, not to say they're a dime a dozen, they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're good players to plug in. But those starters that can really give you quality innings and get to the big leagues, they're hard to find. And if they go to an independent league and they do well, and, you know, there's, there's an old saying with us old scouts is that when a player goes to the independent league, the way to get out is to dominate. They have to dominate that league to be able to get out. And when a starter dominates, they get out really, really fast. And by the way, that's why it makes the story of David Peralta and you know hitters like Ildemaro Vargas and those guys even better because they, you know they, they they were they were hitters, you know, and they got out and got to the big leagues and had have had good careers. So you know, it's definitely harder for a hitter than it is a pitcher. Yeah, I, I want to touch on this before our time gets thin. Um, the Kevin Towers legacy. Um, you know, obviously Kevin passed a few years ago, uh, and, but even today, just the influence over so many organizations and kind of the Kevin Towers scouting tree and front office tree is in about many, many big league clubs. I know he meant a lot to you, and I want you to talk about Kevin's legacy and, and what you what you learned and how important it is to keep it alive in this sport. Well, I mean, the greatest day of my life was winning the Kevin Towers Scout of the Year Award, uh, which, by the way, Todd Green uh, from our staff just won uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, KT was one in a, a billion. He was a guy that you know had your back. He was he he believed in the old school loyalty, the old school way of doing things. The you know turn look under every stone, and you know you never felt alone uh, when when KT uh, was was your boss. He was always there. He was always teaching, and it wasn't a, a, a teaching where you know he would sit down and scold you. Although sometimes he would do that when he needed to. Uh, by the way, I remember one time I stayed in a Red Roof Inn and I got a call at two o'clock in the morning because he was going through my expenses. And he goes, if you ever stay in a Red Roof Inn again, I'm going to kick your butt. <laughs> he, wanted, he thought it was a it was a dangerous hotel in a rough place. But that was just kind of the guy he was, man. He always never forgot his place, never forgot that he was an old scout uh, that and where he came from. He would always make sure that he checked in on your families, uh, you know, which doesn't happen often enough in this game. Thankfully, it does with our guys now, and they always their their family first. But he was really like that to to the 
I mean, to the utmost. He wanted to make sure your wife and kids were good. He wanted to help in any way he could to make sure that you had the best life possible in this game. And uh, I, I owe my life uh, literally to, you know, to him and uh, Bill Brick. I mean, they, they were, you know, my guys that uh, took care of me. I sat in meetings and I shut my mouth and I listened when I was asked. That's when I spoke. And I think they always appreciated the fact that, uh, you know, I, they knew I was enamored by them every minute I was around them. And they, and they also never took that for granted. Yeah, uh, it, that's the thing. I, and a big part of our network, we're, we're wanting to really magnify that this is a relationship industry, a relationship sport. And, and the people that set the path there, they can't be forgotten. And people, the next generation needs to be keep going down these paths. And whether it's the journalism side, the, the player side, the scouting side, the, you know, and because I think that's the beauty of baseball is, you know, the generations passing on. That's why you're appreciating the passing of the mantles of uh, meaning from like the Maggio, the mantle, the mazes, the Aaron's, uh, the, the Schmidt's uh, all the way up to the Trout's and the Otani's of today. Yeah. And, and their names are always at the forefront of our organization. I have to tell you, uh, Jason Parks, Corey Hahn, uh, Mike Hazen, those guys always bring up, uh, you know, brick towers. They always uh, make sure that we remember where we came from. Uh, you know, as the years go on, few and fewer people who had contact with them are, are around. So it's important we pay it forward and we continue to, you know, I, I I talk to your son about these guys all the time and he'll ask me, you know, hey, tell me a, a story about this or a story about that. And that's how we continue to keep their legacy alive. we got to keep talking about them. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Appreciate that. Uh, Dave, you got something? Yeah. Uh, Chris, I, I love how you're, you pay homage to the people that came before you. We're, we're very much about that on the show. What about in, in your personal life to do what you've done at such a high level? And it's not like you you got, you know, they started you on third base. You started as a, you know, the fourth coach on a college staff and you've been through the independent leagues in a number of different capacities. So nobody could ever, you know, accuse you of not grinding it through. But in your personal life now, what, who's, who's helped sacrifice for you to, to get where you're at today? Oh, my, my wife, 100%. I mean, you know, I, I think we could probably all say that about our significant others in this game. You know, uh, I always feel so bad for, you know, the wives when we're all on the road and, you know, we're gone for, you know, weeks, months at a time. But, you know, my wife handled it like a champ. Uh, you know, and she really, really, you know, we, we have a special needs daughter. Our 19-year-old daughter is special needs. And we have, you know, three daughters all together. And she has literally handled everything like a champ. She's not only my best friend. I mean, she's my hero. She continues until this day to push me to you know be the best I can be in this game. And you need that. You need that because, you know, as men, we always feel like, you know, oh, man, I'm failing my family. I've got to be on the road. I've got to you know do this. I've got to do that. My wife does this great thing at the beginning of the year where she says, you be home for these things. Okay? And I write them all down. I make sure I'm home for those things. I go out, I do my job, and then we have a great off season to spend together. But she has really, really been the, the reason that I've been able to have such a, a long and strong career. And, you know, she's, she's taught my daughters about that. She's, they understand that, you know, my job is very rigorous, that, you know, I'm on the road a lot, that, you know, no, daddy doesn't want to be away for, you know, uh, five months, you know, uh, of a season, but I have to be in order to do my job. And if, you know, we wait around a little bit, the, the rest of those months, we're all going to spend together and have a great time. So she deserves all the accolades and, and, and all the thanks. That's good. You have, you said, you mentioned uh, multiple daughters. Do, are any of your daughters athletes? 
So uh, my my middle daughter, she played softball, but uh, she she opted to stop playing now. But my youngest is very into volleyball. Uh, she loves it. And I love watching her. I love going to see her play. I think her coaches do a great job. I'm that dad that doesn't say a word but clap. Uh, you know, I, I always uh, people always ask me about how they should handle their uh, you know their kids and uh, you know uh, sports and all that stuff. I literally sit on the side, I clap, uh, and, and the only thing I ever remind my daughter of is there's two things you can control in life, and that is uh, you know your effort and your attitude. That's it. Everything else is going to happen in sports and, and let it take care of itself. But as long as those two things are going right, I'm uh, I'm happy, you know, and, and my youngest really, you know, she epitomizes that. Spoken like a true scout. We You mentioned two topics that I cover questions from our audience on Facebook. I know I'm going to get a lot from this, this interview because it's been great information, but one was ego. You talked about that with not saying uh, I, but we with, with signing players. And the second one, I get an awful lot as a former professional player and college coach, I get asked about parent behaviors. So it's good to hear you say that as well. That's great reinforcement for our audience. So the parents out there in over 60 countries pay attention. Yeah, parents don't always realize that, you know, really what a sport is for is to teach them life lessons. It's not to get them to the major leagues or to get them a college scholarship. Uh, you know, let the, let these games and, and these sports teach them about life and let them mirror it. And, you know, if you do that, you stay out of their way, you're, you're going to be in really good shape. Yeah, and I bet you it's what I always wish my children did. They all, they play basketball and baseball, and I was a two-sport college athlete in, uh, with those two sports. And I almost I wish they played sports that I didn't know about, so I could just sit and and, and learn a little bit more. But uh, it's uh, it's it's nice to watch our kids grow up. And I, I agree with you with the transient the transient aspect of coaching, scouting, whatever. You've got that guilt that comes along with it. It's great to hear your your wife's approach to it. And we have a lot of coaches in our audience right up to the front office, so. You're given lessons on many levels today. You don't even realize it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I always say to young coaches, because I get to ask this all the time, or young scouts, just communicate, you know, whether whether it be, you know, with, with your wife, wife or with your kids, have conversations. Let them know that, you know, hey, boy, this is a rough, you know, stretch. we got a month, you know, we're coming out of the trade deadline. Things are going to get better. You know, things break down when you don't have good communication in anything, you know, and you just got to communi communicate with your significant other and they have to be open and willing and you have to be open and willing and you have to know what's important to each other. And if you do those things, you're going to have a successful life. If you don't, it's going to end tragically, you know, and you have to communicate. I like that advice. It's great. Joe, go ahead. You want to get yeah. on the yeah, let's uh, let's go with a few more minutes here. Cece, I know you do a lot of in um, on the international markets as well. Mexico, WBC is starting up next week in in Florida and Arizona. Just kind of how you how do you see the the classic and uh, you know what what are some of your observations from like winter ball and, and the international leagues. Well, you know, I'll start with Mexico. Uh, you know, I, I've scouted the Mexican Winter League for many, many years now, too many to count. And I love it. I actually took your son with me this year and uh, we had a great time scouting that league. And, I, and I'll tell you why it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, yes, the players are fun to watch and you'll find some good players in there and some signable players. But it's the atmosphere. OK, it is the fun and excitement of people going to games, you know, having a few drinks, having a good time, you know, eating, sharing, having conversations, uh, being open and willing, not being robotic and, you know, being on your phone the whole time. And, you know, I'll transition this. What I love about the Mexican League and international baseball is what I love about the WBC. OK, it becomes more about fun more about winning games uh, than, um, you know, than about how many you know home runs you hit or, or how many hits you had. And, you know, I, I try to tell young players all the time, 
you got to get out of the mentality of, well, this is how I did, and but my team lost, okay? If your team lost, I don't care what you did, okay? It's about doing the things to help your team win. And I believe that's what the WBC is all about, okay? They're not playing for the, the, the name on the back. They're playing for the country on the front. And I love that attitude that they go in there with. I'm so excited. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of scouting over in Japan, okay? And that was one of my favorite things to do because they play the game right, okay? They'll move runners, okay? They'll sacrifice themselves for the greater good of the team. And that's what you'll see in the WBC. And, you know, I fully expect the U.S. to be strong. Um, uh, you know, Cuba is always fun to watch as well, too, and uh, Japan. And uh, obviously Mexico is fun. But I love to see the passion, okay? I, I'll probably get you know hate on this for, for saying this, but I, I loved it when Mexico and Canada got that bench-clearing brawl a few years ago. You know, I want I to, you know, that's care, man. You know what I mean? I don't want to see anybody get hurt. But, you know, but at the same time is let's show a little fire. Let's show a little, you know, uh, tenacity here and go back to where we care about the things that are going on, you know. So I, I am so excited to see it. I get to scout it this year. I don't know which teams I'm going to have yet. They'll let me know. But uh, I really I really can't wait to see just the, the, the energy that goes into to, to those things, uh, the WBC in general, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I think from a scouting standpoint, I know as a media standpoint, obviously when I would, you know, when I was with MLB.com and spent six weeks in a hotel watching the gate, the days get mundane, as you know. But whenever like the what I liked about the WBC was it made the players play with energy. Obviously, it gave us better stories to write as well. But I imagine from a scouting standpoint, you're going to get a better feel for a player when you see them on, you know, March 11th or 12th playing with a little purpose rather than see completely just working on something today. He only threw fastballs today. He only worked one side of the plate today. Uh, they're, you know, they're not yet game planning for the season. They're just working on stuff. So is that help from a scouting standpoint? I mean, no doubt. You get to see what they can do really when the light switch goes on because these game ma- these games matter. And you know, let me say this: I've seen it this year so far. These teams, or these, excuse me, these players are are much more ready coming in this year because of the WBC than they ordinarily would be. Some players, you know, would be playing themselves in the shape. The vast majority of these guys are already in shape already ready to go. And, you know, they're playing with purpose. So, you know, scouting them now, it's, I don't want to say it's easy. It's never easy to scout, but it's easier to see that they're the way they're playing and, and how they're going about their business. And it, you know, let me say this. It's also nice to see what a, how a player reacts when he's not playing. Is he cheering for his teammate? Is he, you know, getting behind his team? Is he pouting? Okay, because that does happen. People think, oh, no, that doesn't happen. These guys are major leaguers. You know, I never want a guy to be happy that he's not playing. But at the same time, is we need to see if they're good teammates, okay? Because not everybody's going to be able to start every day. So you need those guys that can be on the bench, be good teammates, and be ready to come off that bench when they need to. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be in Miami seeing, I think uh, we opened well, like Venezuela against the DR. So I'm going to have my earplugs and uh, I'm going to be, uh, you know, looking to see some good baseball right that first night because uh, that should be a real fun one. Uh, uh, Dave, this has been, Chris Carminucci has been an amazing guest so far. Uh, we're we're um, going to be winding it up in a minute. Dave, you got any final thoughts and, and announcements before we get out of here? Oh, I just want to make sure he covers his book. I know he has a great book. He was out there. Do you want to give us some information on the book you wrote, Chris, and where our audience can find it and yeah. how we can promote it? Absolutely. I appreciate it very much. Uh, the book is called Sign Me. Uh, it's available on Amazon. 
And, you know, I wrote it about, about four years ago now. And really, I wrote it out of frustration. I wrote it because at the time, this was prior to Major League Baseball kind of, you know, taking over the independent leagues and having it under the umbrella. I was sick and tired of people putting down the leagues. People, uh, agents telling their players, no, don't go to that league. Or college coaches saying, oh, you, you didn't get drafted. Just hang them up. Don't bother. Go to those independent leagues. They're beer leagues. They are the furthest thing from it. Okay. They, these leagues, okay, are so important uh, to not only to me, but to these players to continue to get an opportunity that I felt the need to write a book, okay? And the book is basically about what leagues are out there, how to go about, you know, getting in touch with them, how to go, what, you know, go about get, being seen at a tryout camp. Uh, just basically, it's there to pay it forward to the players to be able to have a, an encyclopedia of, of sorts to go to, to be able to reference where they should go next. And, you know, the, the, these leagues have been so important to me that I, I felt compelled to do this. And it, it, it honestly, it, it was a much bigger hit than I ever even thought it was. I thought a few players would end up reading it and, uh, you know, it, and hopefully it helped them. But it kind of got a cult following and, you know, people, you know, passed it down and paid it forward. And these leagues, uh, the independent leagues also helped promote it as well, too. So it's been a really, really amazing thing to be a part of. And I, I never thought it would turn into what it did, but it, it, it certainly caught fire. And I'm appreciative of that. But, you know, that's really where it came from. I just wanted to be able to, you know, pay it forward and get information in the hands of these players. Yeah. And a little bit of it, I wanted to stick it up the nose of these guys that were putting the uh, the leagues down, you know, because <laughs> I, I never liked that idea. You know, you know, th these people uh, who put it down are the same people that say, well, players won't get signed because they have to pay a fee, you know, to buy a player out of an independent league, which is ridiculous to me. Okay. Uh, you know, teams uh, uh, buy players all the time. We sign, you know, free agents all the time and uh, give signing bonuses all the time. So it's nothing to pay a five, 10 or $15,000 fee to be able to buy a player. So I wanted to, to basically get the right information in the right hands. And I, I, I think that's what, what happened. That's awesome. I, I love chip on the shoulder people. And that's why I love Chris Carminucci. Um, you know, I, I do that a lot too. Well, well, you, you, you know what Italian I always want to prove somebody wrong. <laughs> well, Joe, Joe and, and you got, you guys know what Italian Alzheimer's is, right? You, you, you forget everything, but the grudge, you know, so, you know, I, I walk around with a giant chip on my shoulder for things that happened to me when I was six. You know, so. <laughs> I literally for 40 years in journalism every day, this is going to be my last day. Someone's going to fire me and I'm going to kick someone's butt. Like I <laughs> always thinking that way when I had nothing to worry about, but something that needed to motivate you to get through the day and, and do your best work. So you always want to hear that. But that is great advice. We could talk all day with Chris Carminucci. And for all our listeners, all those people that want to know what being a baseball lifer is like, our guest today is that it's in you. Baseball is part of your lifestyle and there's nothing wrong with that. And um, and and I think it was an amazing podcast. CC again, thank you, uh, Dave. One last thing, or you want me to sign us off? Yeah, I think our audience is, uh, you know, again, continue to support us. Download, listen, like, subscribe, engage us on social media, Facebook. I'll respond to questions uh, tomorrow morning again. And uh, Chris, thanks. It was great, great interview, and we're going to promote the heck out of that book. So you better have enough copies left. Thank you guys so much. And, and, you know, if anybody ever wants to reach out to me, I take questions all the time on Instagram uh, or on Facebook or whatever. It's just my name. Uh, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to help parents, players, whatever I can do. I'm here to help. What's your handle, Chris, on Facebook, Instagram? You okay with giving that out? Yes, please. It, it, it's at C. Carminucci. You got to spell that for all the people. Uh, it's uh, at and then C and then C-A-R-M-I-N-U-C-C-I. -C -C -I.
That is awesome. I'm an Italian with Italian Alzheimer's. <laughs> I think we need another home run today, Dave D'Agostino. Chris Carmanucci, thanks so much, my friend. And uh, we'll have you on, uh, you know, as often as we can. I know you're about to get super busy. But, uh, again, thank you so much for finding some time with us. Uh, safe travels and, and kick butt out there. And take care of the scouts on your scouting staff as well. Honor and a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, for Dave D'Agostino, I'm Joe Forsaro, Man on Second Podcast. The, we are on the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game Podcast Network uh, productions. Uh, keep in touch with us, and we are out of here.